Crooked is bringing its patented no-bullshit conversations to the airwaves for the very first time with Crooked Radio. Every weekend in the lead-up to the midterm elections on SiriusXM Progress and on the SiriusXM app. It's a new way to listen to the same crooked content you love. Join our lineup of podcast hosts, candidates, experts, and more, including Hot Take, as we break down all the issues that matter this November dive into the conversations shaping our current political climate, and give the only 100% correct opinions in politics. You don't want to miss this. Subscribe now and get up to four months free of SiriusXM. See offer details at SiriusXM.com crooked. Hey, hot cakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westerbilt. And I'm Mariana Hegler. Um, yeah, happy October. (laughs) (laughs) It's sweater weather, Mary. No, I'm just kidding. I know you hate that. (laughs) Yeah, I do hate that. I do hate that. (laughs) It's not sweater weather in any way where I am. It's like 80 degrees and like 55% humidity. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's still pretty tropical shorts weather. Um, yeah. but you yeah. know what? I'll, I'll survive. Um, and <laughs> you know, of, of all the people in the world, I, I don't think I get to complain about the weather right now. So I won't. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. We yeah. are. Um, but the other thing about October is that it is the month before, uh, the midterms. It's the month before <sighs> election day. Um, and yep. it's almost Scorpio season, so that means I need to pull out my big book of revenge and get to work. But before yes. that, <laughs> this this episode, we're going to talk about the midterms. I've got some candidates that I'm very excited and very excited to talk about. Um, and awesome. we're going to talk about, you know, the crazy weather we've been having all over the world, um, including, Mm -hmm. you know, Hurricane Ian, the latest with that. Um, And there's a lot going on with the Supreme Court, um, as I understand it. Yeah. Can you add some of those douchebags to your list, please? Thank you. It's a long fucking (laughs) list, Amy. All right. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. So with that, I think it's time. It's time to talk about climate. spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRILLED. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, Earth Breeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled. All right. Okay. Okay. So, Amy, one of the things I, I'm most excited about with the midterms is this new generation of Southern Black Democrats that are, nice. have like some serious grit and some serious fight to them. And I want to talk about three in particular today that I think are climate candidates to watch. Um, and I also, I just want to underscore this idea that like, I think is still out there that climate change is not a Black person's issue. Um, mm-hmm. And all three of these candidates completely shatter that. Um, I like how they're just like outspoken climate mm-hmm. candidates too which is another total myth i think that we hear is like oh you can't say it out loud or else people won't want to vote for you nope not exactly true. exactly and it's also like what's the point of running for office if you're not going to fight to do the right things like yeah. I, I i seriously don't understand that it's like you got to like be secretive about doing the right thing what the fuck is that and also mm-hmm. they seem these candidates seem to take it seriously that it is incumbent upon them as candidates to also be public communicators and climate communicators right. and to right. emphasize to their constituents what is and is not important so if you keep pushing yep. climate change to the back burner because quote people don't care about it like it is incumbent mm-hmm. on you to make people care about it what nobody right. really talking about healthcare like that like, I mean, people were concerned about healthcare, of course, because, you know, they live in their bodies and they need their bodies to function. Um, right. But nobody knew the ins and outs of, like, how healthcare policy worked until the Democrats talked about it for fucking decades. 
Same Certainly thing no one change. knew what the fuck single payer meant. I mean, <laughs> you know? for real. For <laughs> like, come real. On. Yeah. For real. Yeah. So the first climate candidate that I want to talk about is Charles Booker um, oh, out in my Kentucky. Favorite. <laughs> Um, So you know then that he is running to replace Rand Paul, uh, senator from Kentucky, uh, who Mm -hmm. is most famous in my book for getting his ass kicked by his neighbor. Yes, I love that. I still go back to that memory every once in a while, just feel something. Um, <laughs> um, yes. Charles Charles ran in 2020 for the Democratic nomination to replace Mitch McConnell, um, but he very narrowly ro- lost that primary to Amy McGrath, who's a more centrist candidate, and went on to lose to Mitch McConnell, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember being very I remember sad that. about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, me too. I remember that primary too because, um, yeah, I just to me Booker seemed like the clearly the better candidate, mm-hmm. but I think it it was another one of those too, right? Where the 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 DNC kind of threw a lot of money and and weight behind McGrath as the safe choice, yeah, as the safe choice, and yeah, I just it's like again and again I'm like, uh, you can't beat Mitch McConnell with like something in the middle no yeah it's never gonna yeah. work never gonna and work. Uh, to be yeah. clear mcgrath would have been way better than mitch mcconnell for sure i mean of, of my like i'm sitting on my kid's bed and there's a bizarre stuffed animal staring at me that would be better than mitch mcconnell um <laughs> i'm gonna need a picture of that stuffed animal um <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Charles previously served as the administrative services director at the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. So this man is not new to environmental protection. Yeah. Like he he that's didn't just awesome. slap that. Yeah, he didn't he was just like slap on the ground on doing that. Yeah. yeah. That's not something that's he awesome. just added in because it's like the flavor of the day. So I want to emphasize that. He is endorsed by the League of Conservation Voters, the Sierra Club, Sunrise Movement. Justice Democrats, and he's got strong union support. And that's another thing people think isn't, you know, compatible with climate action. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a fucking awesome coalition, too. Mm Because, like, you actually do not often necessarily get the League of Conservation Voters and the Sunrise Movement and Justice Dems and union people all in one group supporting anyone or anything. So that's great. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and also Kentucky I, is in a lot of ways ground zero for climate change in a way that I don't think mm-hmm. is often acknowledged. Like just this past year, they had these extreme floods and these extreme tornadoes yeah. and it was exploited for coal mining. Um, I mm-hmm. often associate coal mining so much with West Virginia and I, I sometimes I'll, I'll admit I forget about Kentucky, but they've mm-hmm. been really, you know, exploited by that for their labor, for their land resources, leaving them with like polluted water and, you know, people with so many diseases and such. So, yeah, it, they're a frontline state for sure. Charles believes in reclaiming and revitalizing abandoned coal mines and allowing people in the hardest hit communities to lead the way in a just, just transition. Mm-hmm. He believes in creating a climate core to do exactly that, which I love. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think that sounds a lot better than just being a, a job creator, right? Like, because a climate core feels more like a calling to me. Yeah, it's like coalition building, community building, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And he's advocating for a Kentucky New Deal. 
Um, which kind of like builds on the Green New Deal and of course the actual New Deal and makes it specific to Kentucky. And and I really, really love that. So he's been out here, you know, beating the drum and advocating for climate action. And I, I really, really hope to see him in the Senate because he would be the first black senator from Kentucky. Jeez, that I mean, that's wild to me, given the fact that Kentucky has a large black population that, mm-hmm. that they've never had a black senator is um, it's kind of kind of mind blowing. Yeah. You know what has a very low black population? Hmm. The Senate. <laughs> oh, uh, One might even say it's his, yeah, over the course of history. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, another climate candidate to watch, building on this generation of new Black Southerners um, in the Democratic Party, is, of course, Stacey Abrams, who is mm-hmm. um, running for the second time to be the governor of Georgia um, against the same opponent. Since Brian she Kemp. won the first time, that seems like a good idea. Famously, Brian Kemp actually like completely stole that election from Abrams the last time. So, yeah. And you know what? I think a lot of people have forgiven him because he stood up against Trump when he tried to, you know, overthrow the election. That's but like, right. nah, nah, Brian, mm. Brian no, Kemp Brian. can still kick it's not rocks. Not your turn, Brian. <laughs> he can still kick rocks. Um, yeah. So yeah. another, just like uh, Charles, Stacy is not new to environmentalism. This woman interned for two summers with the Environmental Protection Agency, and she wrote Whoa. her thesis. Yeah, and she wrote her thesis on Cancer Alley in Louisiana. Hmm. Wow, that's yes. amazing. I did not know that about her. And you have to be a serious environmental nerd to want to intern two summers. For the EPA. That's right. Commitment. That's commitment right. right there. Yeah. She's cared about this for a long, long time. In 2019, yeah. she founded the nonprofit Southern Economic Advancement Project, which is focused on environmental justice as a main issue, publishing several reports on climate change and building resilience in the face of it. So she, mm. again, she didn't just tack this onto her, you know, onto her campaign to be in the, in the zeitgeist. Um, right. She, she has published a seven-page environmental policy plan that leans really heavily on the IRA and the infrastructure bill and to make those two things work for Georgia in ways that I think are really smart. That's really smart. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, those dollars out there, they belong to us, and here's how I'm going to go get them. Um, mm. Her three main goals are better resilience in the face of climate change, um, creating 25,000 green energy jobs over the next four years, and reducing energy costs for people in Georgia. In particular, though, one of the things I love the most about her environmental policy plan is this strong approach to adaptation. Um, so mm. she's calling for more state-sponsored shelters to handle the growing number of communities affected by, you know, bad weather because Georgia both yeah. gets hurricanes on its coast and it gets the backdoor storms that come through the Gulf because mm. they those storms will like, you know, they're not really losing strength as they go over land. But even when they do, they tend to create a lot of tornadoes and stuff for, for places like Georgia. Um mm. 
Yeah. And so right now, the shelters and evacuation routes and all of that is it's not really handled in a centralized way. It's through mm-hmm. like local nonprofits, local governments, and then some backup support for FEMA. And Stacy's plan would centralize that and make it a lot more seamless for people. Because in, in the event of a disaster, you really don't have the time to go through like a million different bureaucracies. So she wants yeah. to centralize it and streamline it. And I think that is so, so, so smart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's also like a, um, a form of climate adaptation that people will see right away. You know, mm-hmm. I think that like, I don't know, like, you know, making, making people's lives work better is definitely part of addressing climate change. And I, I don't understand why more folks don't, um, you know, see it that way and come up with plans like this. Exactly. And she wants to expand Medicaid to deal with the health impacts of climate change. And that's something I don't think a lot of people put together with climate change. That's so interesting. So mm-hmm. so stuff like like extreme heat, maybe access to clean water, mm-hmm. the like general health impacts of of climate shifts on people's overall health. Yeah. That's and- awesome. And like getting ready for vector-borne diseases, like waterborne diseases mm. that can be more prevalent in the wake of like a storm or a flood or things like that. So and yeah, like future pandemics and all that shit too. That's so smart. So smart. Exactly. She is so smart. She is so smart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stacey Abrams is definitely a climate candidate to watch and to phone bank for and knock doors for if that's what you mm-hmm. can do. Um, she would also be Georgia's first black governor. And the first black female governor ever anywhere. That is fucking ridiculous. Like it is. uh, Yeah. It is. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I think like I I think of Stacey Abrams as as an awesome democracy candidate in general, um, too. But yeah, I think I think you're right. Like people forget that she's a very, very Um, credible and serious climate candidate with a lot of really good new ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, And again, not new to this. True to this. Nope. So, and the the woman can fight, okay? (laughs) Stacey (laughs) Abrams fought. I remember when she fought against Brian Kemp for stealing the election and all of a sudden- I love that. Exactly, because everybody was like, oh, just like, let it go or whatever. And she was like, no, I won that election. And then you start to see other uh, Democrats actually stand up against elections that had not been conducted fairly. It's like, black women always got to lead the way. Always. So and the last one I want to talk about is one that I'm actually not just watching, but voting for. Um, Mm. And this is Gary Chambers from Louisiana. Um, he is running to replace Senator Kennedy from Louisiana. I don't know if you know this guy, uh, but he's recently on everybody's nerves for saying that the next time you don't want to call the police or want to defund the police, call a crackhead the next time you're in trouble. Oh, my God. I'm not making that up. The uh, the 80s called and they want their racial slur back, sir. Jesus. I mean. What a yeah. dick. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. This guy fucking sucks. Like, you already knew he sucked because he's a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Gary is one of the strongest challengers to, um, 
to uh, to Senator Kennedy, but the way that elections are run in in Louisiana, he's not the only challenger, um, and he's not even the only Democratic challenger. We'll talk about that other mm-hmm. guy in a second. So Gary is probably best known from that viral "I'ma talk about you, Connie" clip from 2020. So I had intended to get up here and talk about how racist Robert E. Lee was, but I'm going to talk about you, Connie, sitting over there shopping while we're talking about Robert E. Lee. This is a picture of you shopping while we're talking about racism and history in this country. Only white members of this board got up while we were up here talking, too, because you don't give a damn, and it's clear. But I'm going to tell you what the slaves, my ancestors, said about Robert E. Lee, since you don't know history, sister. Let me tell you that they said when he got the plantation, after he got off the field where 27,000 people died, At Gettysburg, Connie, Robert E. Lee was a brutal slave master. Not only did when he whooped the slaves, he said, lay it on them hard. After he said, lay it on them hard, he said, put brine on them, sort of burn them. That's what Robert E. Lee did. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on there shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display. Because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should have resigned two years ago when you choked a white man in his house. You should have resigned two weeks ago when you got on TV and said foolishness. And you should walk out of here and resign and never come back because you are the example of racism in this community. You are horrible. Not to the rest of the board. Do you remember this? (laughs) Yes, it's that guy. Amazing. It's that guy. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) So Gary is an activist from Baton Rouge. Um, and in this campaign, he's released a slew of provocative ads, um, starting with one where he's smoking a blunt talking about marijuana legalization. So what I'm saying is that I feel Gary like I didn't... saw that oh, too yeah. on like I saw it making the rounds on Twitter. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. the man like didn't said. come to play. He didn't come to play. He didn't come to play nice. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> He's not toning you know? down his message no, to reach like, the middle. I love that. it. Fuck that. Fuck that. I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about, right? So yeah. I, I've been watching him um, ever since he kind of came on the scene with that blunt smoking ad. And I wanted to see what he was going to say about climate change and, and environmental justice, especially since, you know, being from Baton Rouge, he's kind of the heart yeah. of the fossil fuel infrastructure and cancer alley and all of that, right? Like there's no way mm-hmm. to be from Baton Rouge and not you know, think about the environmental disasters of the petrochemical era. Um, So he, like I mentioned, there's another Democrat running against uh, Kennedy. Um, This guy's name is Luke Mixon. um, And his site says that oil and gas isn't going anywhere. And I got to tell you, he lost me right there. Lost me right there. Meanwhile, Gary on his site has a robust environmental justice plan with Top with six top priorities, um, including support for the Green New Deal. He wants to increase and enforce fines on petrochemical companies and increase community engagement and eliminate the use of eminent no- domain, which is something I know oh, you know a lot awesome. about. That's amazing. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I honestly, I can't, I can't imagine, even if you were like okay with the remaining like with the existing structures there that that like anyone who claims to remotely represent that community wouldn't be like Baton Rouge is full thanks no more of these facilities yeah. it's it's terrible yeah 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 but real quick though tell the audience what how eminent domain gets used 
in these areas? Oh, well, eminent domain is something that the government and oftentimes um, in kind of partnership with private interests too can take your land. Um, mm-hmm. They can force, they can, yeah, they can force you to sell your land, especially if it's something for so-called critical infrastructure, which is like a mm-hmm. railroad or a gas pipeline or an oil pipeline or, or a refinery or a power plant or any of these kinds of, of things. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you don't want to sell, even if your plan was to hold out and stand strong against the oil company, you can be forced to sell that land. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, getting rid of that option would be amazing. Yep. And I'll just tell you one more thing. The thing I really love about Gary's platform is that it has a strong emphasis on public transit. Amazing. Um, including regional rail. And you know how close this is to <sighs> my heart. Um, yes. I've been railing about this for a while. Like, where are the Southern Democrats who are going to stand up for the need for public transit? Um, yeah. You know, it's deeply disinvested in across the entire region. Um you know, Louisiana actually has some of the better public transit, especially New Orleans has some of the better public transit in the South, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. It could use a lot of help and a lot of protection. It would help with evacuations. It would help lower oh, um, yeah. costs right? for people to yeah. cost. It would lower, mm-hmm. you know, um, greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. It would clean our mm-hmm. air. It would re- it, like it would increase health for a lot of people. It's, I mean, of course, we would need accessible public transit, but like it would create more. It would bring back the walkability of our cities. You know, yes. southern cities used to be walkable. They had to be because mm-hmm. everybody had no car, right? So like, that's right. Yeah, I I love that he's focusing on that in his plan. Um, yeah. And again, Gary would be another first. He would be the first black senator from Louisiana. Again, absolutely incredible given mm-hmm. the population of Louisiana. Uh-oh. Exactly, exactly. So I, earlier this week, just went and triple checked to make sure that my registration went through. I've had the hardest time getting registered to vote. It's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I triple checked. I'm definitely registered to vote and I can't wait to vote in this election. Awesome. I mean, it's nice, right, to have candidates that you're excited about voting for. That's nice. I do want to just just emphasize to folks, too, that, you know, I I know we've talked about this before, but especially because it's coming up. um, I think there's I think there's like a tendency to have a little bit of voter fatigue, you know, a feeling like, okay, sure, you guys keep telling us to vote, but then we vote and, you know, these big changes that we want don't happen. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. I feel that way myself sometimes. But right now, um, I think especially on climate, we have a very limited amount of time. The political system we have is not going to change in a major way in the time that we have to act on climate. And the only thing that will actually move the needle in the right direction on that is getting control of Congress, especially as we're going to talk about later with the horrendous Supreme Court that we currently have. So um, could not be more important to vote, and and especially in the midterms, because I tell you what, the way, again, that the courts are going, states are going to be absolutely where things are happening in the next decade. And we need, um, you know, good climate candidates in all of those places. And we need them at the federal level, too. So, exactly. so yeah. 
I've never really been like a big get out the vote booster, I have to say. But like right now, it could not be more important. Look, as somebody born on November 4th, which is a day that is often election day, <laughs> you know, I've, I've yeah. been a... I grew up excited to be able to vote one day. Um, You know, people in my family have put their lives on the line for me to be able to vote. So I have that right. That's right. Yeah. I'm a big believer in voting. I'm not a big believer in voting and then going to bed, which ain't nobody tell you to vote and then stop. So, yes, vote. It's definitely one thing to do. It is not the only thing to do. But if you can do Mm -hmm. it, do it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Do it. And with that, we're going to be back in a minute. All right. Hot Take is brought to you by Aspiration. When it comes to saving the planet, there is no neutrality. If you keep your money in most standard bank accounts, they are lending your deposits out to fund oil and coal. That is a true statement. It's a thing that's happening. Go check out where your bank is spending your money. Better yet, switch to the planet side and get Aspiration. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to big banks. It's fossil fuel-free, and it lets you plant a tree by rounding up every swipe of your debit card. So, you know, instead of funding pipelines, you're You're planting planting trees. trees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. The original carbon capture and storage. It's true. It's true. I know. This is like one of those things that I feel like is a very good individual action to recommend to people because the idea of your actual money being used to fund pipeline projects is pretty gross. Yeah, it is. It is. This is one of the more... Pretty gross. This is one of the more impactful things you can do as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it doesn't take that much effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Best of all, there is no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair for your account, even if that's zero, because money shouldn't stand in the way of you doing the right thing. Make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash hot take debit and move your money out of fossil fuels. Open your account at aspiration.com slash hot take debit today. That's aspiration.com slash H-O-T-T-A-K-E-D-E-B-I-T, aspiration.com slash hot take debit. Terms and conditions apply. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're faced with challenges in life, it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Um, I would also argue, you know, when life itself becomes a challenge, you know, (laughs) like from the small stuff to the coronavirus pandemic. You know, that's yep. for a lot of people, that's become the small stuff these days. Um, Never ending. Exactly. Yeah. The existential <sighs> dread of climate change or just like a fight with your friend, which honestly, those things could be one of the more stressful things in your life. The best part of having that's a therapist true. is that if you're an overthinker like me, they, they, they just listen to you. They overthink with you. Yeah. And you don't have to apologize. That's true. For dumping on them. You don't have to apologize for repeating yourself. They, you paying them to, t- to listen to you. So, I mean, why wouldn't you do it? Yes. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, even if those goals are just staying intact. 
just just staying mm. <laughs> staying on top <laughs> of things, um, no matter how big or small. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online, which I know is a feature that you love, Amy. I do. I do. I like that I can um, make it so that therapy happens at 2 a.m. if I want it to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's on your it's schedule. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. You don't like them? Switch them out. No big deal. When you want to become a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash hot take today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash hot take. All right. Um, Obviously, Hurricane Ian is over, but its impact is still being felt in a pretty major way. The death toll is over 100 and still climbing. I I think, unfortunately, people forget about that, that, you know, it's not just like the day of the storm that things happen. It's many, many days and weeks and months and years later that Mm -hmm. that shit's still going down. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So far, all of those deaths that have been counted are in Florida's Florida. Um, there haven't been any deaths listed in the Carolinas. Um, and almost all of them are drownings. Um, oh, which that's is un- awful. It's God. unusual. Oh. It's unusual <sighs> for that many of the deaths to be um, to be because drownings. of drownings. And that means that those are the ones that are those are the ones that are more I- readily identifiable as mm. related to the hurricane. Um, like you said, right. disaster deaths are, are difficult to count, and it takes a while for the official death count to be resolved. I think the first mm-hmm. time a lot of people got exposure to that was probably Katrina and then Maria. Um, mm-hmm. Because I remember mm-hmm. in the early days after Maria, it was like 64 people died, and now the death toll is uh, about 3,000. Um, yeah. And Katrina is that's not right. much lower than that. And that's because there's all these sort of ripple effects that happen um, because mm-hmm. the, the death due to a hurricane or any bit of extreme weather can be because the hospital was shut down or the mm-hmm. evacuation conditions were really dangerous. And it, it takes a while to kind of suss that out. So we're not going to know. Just Ian right. is, I've said this before, Ian is the type of storm that can change a state or region forever. Um, like, mm. We, we're really not going to know how deep this goes for a while. At least 13 million people lost power, too. So there again, A, it's like a giant number. But also, um, you know, if you lose power for a significant amount of time and say you have a machine that you rely on for mm-hmm. some aspect of your health care that you like can't dialysis. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. There's like various types of breathing machines that people have, you mm-hmm. know, to do pulmonary um, care at home too. There's there's um, all kinds of monitors and things too. So all kinds of things could be going wrong in in the aftermath of, of a storm like this. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's just scary. I mean, you know, you've had power out for some period of time. I know, I think the longest I've ever had it out is maybe four or five days in like a big snowstorm. And it was scary. Like the stores yeah. were running out of food because things start to go bad, you know? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not, um, yeah, not, not a good time. I think the longest for me was like, it was either, t- it's hard to remember. It was either 10 days or a week Ten after days. Katrina. Wow. Oof. 
Yikes. Yes. Yeah, that was a long time. Um, yeah. But not as long as it was in so many other places, including Puerto Rico after Maria. That was almost a year. Oh, a, I mean, almost absolutely outrageous. Yeah. There's still places in Puerto Rico now that are continuing to be without power after Fiona, which was the storm that came before Ian, mm-hmm. too, right? And, um, yeah. and I do want to mention that the entire island of Cuba had a blackout in Hurricane Ian, too, which is, is also terrifying absolutely Mm -hmm. terrifying right which uh brings to another point is that ian made four landfalls um which is not it it, that's not terribly unusual because hurricanes will go from island to island in the caribbean um but -hmm. to make two u.s landfalls is very Mm. strange because one was on the other side of another state um that's very unusual so weird and then it was like and it remained very strong too, right? Like a lot of precipitation, um, a lot of power. Yeah. It lost a lot of its strength. Um, th- that first time it hit Florida or the, mm. the landfall in Florida was by far the strongest it ever was. Um, but you, it went down to below hurricane strength and then went back up to hurricane strength once it got back Jesus. over the Atlantic and then it went to the Carolinas. And I, I, I can't <sighs> stress how unusual that is, I mean, by conventional hurricane wisdom, by climate change hurricane wisdom. Okay, that's a whole other ball game. But yeah, it's it was very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another hurricane, Hurricane Julia, just hit Nicaragua yesterday. I, I actually mm-hmm. was bracing for that one here in Costa Rica, and then it sort of just missed us and went um, went to Nicaragua. Um, yeah. Again, very, very dangerous. A lot of flash floods and mudslides. And they just had uh, quite a few big storms last year and the year before, too. So it's, again, this like this thing of, you know, you used to maybe get one every few years in some of these places. And now you're getting not only storms every year, but like major hurricanes and sometimes more than one in a season. And, um, yeah. you know, a lot of these places haven't had time to recover from the last one before um, another one hits. So, yeah. Yep. I think they're going to have to redo the categorization of, of hurricanes because, mm. you know, a category, Hurricane Fiona was a category one, but like you need to adjust that rating for the infrastructure of the places projected to hit. You need to adjust it for mm. how wet it is. You need to adjust it for, you know, because the the category really only does the wind. Um, It doesn't include all of the other factors of the storm that make it dangerous. And I just feel like if you're going by the number of the category, you really might not understand how much trouble you could be in. Um, So I think they might need to to revisit that. And another thing I've been thinking about is that while I, I don't want this hurricane season to get any worse, and I definitely don't want to downplay how bad it has been for the people who have been affected by it. Um, I worry that since this hurricane season so far has not lived up to the projections, um, we were projected to have an extremely active hurricane season, much more active than mm. it has been. Um, I'm worried that since it didn't live up to that prediction, the right wing might pounce on the NOAA prediction and instead of and, and basically just say that they were lying. Because they do that with every fucking thing, right? (sighs) 
I really hope that like any kind of statements like that are immediately met with with pictures of like what's happened in Florida um, mm-hmm. and, you know, like being like, is this not enough? Like, I, I just I don't I don't understand. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not there's nothing to understand. It's a bad faith argument. It's totally disingenuous. They, they know that, um, you know predictions are never a hundred percent accurate and that that doesn't mean that that their lies are made up or that the science is faulty or any of that yeah Yeah. they're just saying it because they're playing a political game and you know but yeah honestly it's just sheer luck that it hasn't been worse um and it's definitely been bad enough (laughs) you know what i mean like it's been terrible also, I don't know if this is happening with hurricane season, um, but I know with fire season, like, the season just keeps getting longer. It's basically just the whole fucking year now. So, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the idea that, that like, these weather patterns are going to continue to follow the same patterns that they always have seems pretty unlikely. And, like, who knows what we could see, you know. As, yeah. as the rest of the year goes on. So exactly, yeah. you know, and part of getting prepared for that and pushing back on those sorts of arguments requires us to learn how to talk about climate change a little bit better. And, you know, just quick mm-hmm. plug. I wrote something about that. Um, yes, <laughs> we can move. On. <laughs> <laughs> like I like, slip that in there. That's nice. That's <laughs> nice. We'll link to it in the in the show notes. But yeah, I thought that was great. The like the media, the way that the media covers these issues, just it it needs to get better. And and it is starting to get better. You know, we we see a lot of improvements and we talk about them on this show. But um, but yeah, I just I really feel like the media needs to to step up its game and learn how to cover this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. But yeah, I I also wanted to talk a little bit about the impacts of the hurricane on the food supply because I like food and I hate hurricanes. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's important, right? It's not just that like, oh, there's immediate short-term food problems when people can't get into grocery stores or mm -hmm. grocery stores can't get deliveries, but also these really long-term impacts where, uh, where crops are destroyed. Exactly, because these storms hit places that grow food. Hello. Right, um, right. And, and food prices are already severely compromised because of inflation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the latest figures from the Ian damage say that over 4 million acres of Florida farmland was hit by the hurricane. Holy shit. I know, right? Imagine being one of those farmers, right? Because if you're them, Mm -hmm. and even if you are insured, it can take months or even a year to get paid out on federal farm insurance claims. Mm. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just thinking I have farmers in my family, and I feel like if one of their farms got um, entirely totaled by a storm or a fire or whatever else, that that would probably just be the end of their business you know yeah exactly um, it yeah. would um and that could put a, a lot of small farmers out of business and I, it's also true that it's difficult for farmers of color um to get that type of assistance anyway mm-hmm. so and and then salt water rises with the storm and with storm surge it means there's mm-hmm. less space for fruit tree roots to grow um and it it Salt water can really fuck up your fields. 
just in general. Totally. That'll yeah. mess with the soil and, and the, um, the, you know, the whole balance of things in the soil. So, um, ugh, yeah, this is a yeah. big problem. It's bad. Ongoing problem. It's yeah. bad. Yeah. It can affect things like oranges, of course, from Florida and tomatoes, um, something I love a lot. So, yeah, these are like staples in people's diets. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Also, another um, another aspect of this is is that, you know, Florida is a pretty major user of agricultural chemicals, including a lot of fertilizers. And when those fertilizers get washed out in a storm, you have a giant red algae problem. Oh, um, motherfuck. So yeah, Florida has this thing all the time called red tide, which um, I don't know. Do you get that in Louisiana too, from like agricultural runoff in the ocean? Um, it's really I fucking don't know. gross. I feel like some of everything's running off in Louisiana with all that oil. So. It's gross. It like it looks. It definitely. It actually does look reddish, like rust color. Um, basically, like the the chemicals um, help a certain type of algae to bloom, and then. It makes it so you can't even go in the ocean, but it, and it also kills off a bunch of fish and other marine life. It's 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 quite bad, very bad. Um, so so you know, it's just like, ugh, I don't know. Again, I just I feel like you know we talk about these big extreme weather events and the immediate aftermath, but there are these layers of things um, that happen um, that you know continue to affect a place for a very long time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's take a break and then let's talk about your favorite place in the world, the Supreme Court. My favorite place to hate? Yes, let's get mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. Hot Take is brought to you by Haya. Most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, but Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk. It just tastes great, and it's good for even picky eaters. It's kind of like a Smarties candy in a Ooh. vitamin. Yeah. Very nice. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. Uh, it's formulated with the help of nutritional experts, pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's also non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. High is designed for kids of all ages. I definitely steal some from my kids from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Again, here you go. You sound like the hamburglar. It's true. It's, I'm the vitamin burglar. Um, you also get actually these really, really cute uh, bottles for the vitamins with your first order. And then they send you eco-friendly refills every month, which is very cool. Very nice. We've worked out. Yeah. They're, they're honestly very cute. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best selling children's vitamin. You can get 50%. That's five zero folks off your first order to claim that deal. You have to go to HayaHealth.com slash hot. 
This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash hot and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Hot Take is brought to you by Outer Known. Outer Known was founded by pro surfer Kelly Slater to make clothes sustainably. Sustainability is not something that Outer Known takes lightly. It's literally why the company exists. Outer Known offers women's and men's clothing where style meets sustainability. Outer Known takes care of the planet by using only organic, recycled, and regenerated materials. And they take care of the people who make their clothes by providing safe working conditions and a fair living wage. Because what's the point of saving the planet if you're just going to treat people like shit? Um, it's true. Yeah. It's amazing to me how many people leave that part out. It's very, very cool that Outer Known does this. Right. Um, as as you know, um, I have been lamenting the fall of temperatures uh, down south. <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> All the way to 65. We haven't reached 65 yet, Amy. Calm down. Um, we're, it's, in, it's been in the 70s a couple of times, um, and I'm mm. freaking out. But I have very cute jackets now from Outer Known, and, and they're very mm-hmm. – I, I feel a little bit more equipped to face the tundra of the winter, like especially when it starts nice. to get down to like, oh, my God, the 40s. I, I'm not even lying. I'm not leaving the house when it gets 40s. to 40s. I'm not leaving the house when it gets to 40. I'm just not um, – Wow. Shut up. <laughs> Fall is here and Outer Known is the perfect place to update your wardrobe with their best-selling blanket shirt or any one of their many sustainably sourced cashmere sweaters. Uh, yeah, because nice. apparently it's sweater weather and some people like that. Fucking freaks. You know, <laughs> I love a cashmere sweater and I always feel I've not, I like I, I haven't been able to buy a new one in a very, very long time because they're not sustainably sourced for the most part. I only ever get them at, at thrift stores, which is also good. You know, it's a good, good thing to do in general. But I love that these guys figured out how to how to sustainably source cashmere. Next what thing- can I say? I'm bougie like that. It's soft. <laughs> soft is always good. You know, that's what the kids are into these days. Soft life. Um, oh, they, they also let you sell your clothes back and sell used clothes, which is fucking awesome. How cool is that? That's pretty amazing. Um, so go to OuterKnown.com today and enter the code HOT at checkout, and you'll get 25% off your full price order. That's OuterKnown.com, O-U-T-E-R-K-N-O-W-N.com. And remember to use the code HOT at checkout for 25% off. Check them out today. Okay, so the Supreme Court is back in session, Mary. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, God. It's Did so not bleak. <laughs> it's so bleak. You know, actually, we were talking about midterms um, earlier, and one of the midterm elections that I feel like has not gotten any national attention at all, and it really should, is the race for Texas Attorney General, which sounds like small potatoes, but is actually it's a really big deal. Not. It's it is a big not. deal. Yeah. I feel like we actually yeah. talked about that on our first season, our first episode of the season, um, Fossil Fuel Fuckboys. Um, yes. Because <laughs> Exxon, yes. you know, there's a lot of fossil fuel companies based in Texas. That's right. There are. And, and Texas has been out in front on a lot of these things like um, 
they were really leading the charge on this anti quote unquote woke capital thing, you know, like kicking kicking BlackRock out of Texas because um, they weren't going to do business with anyone that wasn't pro fossil fuels. They passed a law that basically said the state of Texas would not do business with any company that um, that was at all critical of fossil fuels. Um, they have allowed Exxon to do all kinds of crazy shit with the courts. But the reason that the attorney general in particular is important is that a lot of the big constitutional challenges that end up in the Supreme Court start out in Texas. And Mm. the Texas attorney general's office is a total hub of the right wing judicial machine. Um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, the... Um, the Texas attorney general is always really influential in Raga. So that's the Republican attorneys general association. Mm-hmm. Um, the Texas AG way back when was one of the founding members of Raga and they've retained a very sort of powerful position there. So yeah, they'll like Ken Paxton, who's the current AG will file a case he knows exactly which district to file his cases in because he has a favorite judge that mm. does whatever he wants him to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, they they just sort of like have this well-oiled machine that tees cases up for the Fifth Circuit mm-hmm. and then and then boots them up to the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, you have a lot of, of stuff kind of swirling around Texas. And Paxton has... I mean, I don't understand how the guy has managed to hold on to his job, period. He's like he's been under FBI investigation for years at this point. His entire staff quit in 2020 because of corruption. Um, oh, wow. From from Paxton himself. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. He just last week, like, ran away from um, people that were trying to serve him a subpoena to appear in, in a case that that one of the abortion funds has against Texas. Um, he just, Mm. I mean, he's absolutely, he's outrageous, but for some reason, um, you know, he never seems to sweat getting reelected. And now he has a pretty serious challenger in Rochelle Garza, who is a Democrat. She's running for Texas attorney general. She probably has like one tenth of Ken Paxton's campaign budget. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, um, it would be a really big deal if if a Republican wasn't running that office. I think it would be the first time in like fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? So yeah, one to yeah. one to watch. Um, okay, so the big climate case that everyone is watching at the Supreme Court this session. This is like this session's West Virginia versus EPA is a case called Sackett versus EPA. And oh, I've heard they, of this one. Yeah. 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 So this is um this is a couple that has been suing on this issue for a while. But as with most of these cases, this is not like this couple was actually mad about this thing and decided to sue. It's like a bunch of right wing entities went out looking for plaintiffs that could bring mm. this suit. And their entire intention is to uh, kind of whittle away the Clean Water Act. So mm-hmm. last session we had the Clean Air Act. <laughs> On on the chopping block this session we have the Clean Water Act. And, Which I mean pause, it's pause. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is there any better indication that the Republican Party is a death cult than that they want 
dirty air and dirty water. Yeah, it's like it's honestly like yeah, it's it's outrageous. And I I have to say I don't understand why people on the left have not made a bigger issue out of that in general. Like you know, there's a, there are many many very real ways in which you can use the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act to clean up air and water in a way that very much gets at climate change as well. <laughs> And, right. And I don't know why we're not doing that more. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think I, the other thing to understand is that the opposite of clean air is dirty air. The opposite of clean water yeah. is dirty water. That's not water yeah. anymore. That's not air nope. anymore. That's just poison. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they will like I, I don't know. Like why? Why are Democrats not forcing Republicans to make arguments about like, you know, why dirty air is okay. You know right. what I mean? Because like, they will, like, sense. a lot of, yeah, make it make sense. Exactly. Yeah. So um, this case, it's, a, it's like, fairly, it's a fairly smart legal strategy. They On um, their part. On their part. Instead of coming right out and saying, we want to get rid of the Clean Water Act or we want to, you know, reduce the ability of the Clean Water Act to actually keep water clean, um, they are saying that the Clean Water Act should not apply to certain types of wetlands or like smaller streams. Um, this is insane if you know how water moves. Like mm. you can't protect a large lake or a large river if it's no holds barred upstream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? the, thing, like, the thing about water, work. the thing yeah. about water is that it flows. Exactly. Yeah. It's all connected. You can't like protect one part and not the source of of that um, that water. So it's like trying to put cream in like one part of your coffee. Yes, exactly. It doesn't work that way. Does not work. So this is something I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a thing that that the right and particularly various polluting industries like the fossil fuel industry, the big ag industry, um, the petrochemical industry, all the people who would like to be able to um, have fewer regulations on water pollution and also be able to fill in wetlands wherever they want have been kind of pushing this argument for a while. I will say that um, oral arguments happened in Sackett last week and Mm -hmm. a couple of the conservative justices actually seemed like they would maybe like go on the side of letting water scientists tell us what needs to be protected instead of like, conservatives just deciding what is and isn't a wetland <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's somewhat promising you know we could maybe see see something not terrible there um maybe. the other like really big one this uh this session is called the national pork producers council v ross okay yeah <laughs> All right, let's do this what's going on with um, the pork So, yeah, this one is challenging a law that California passed that mandated that any pork that is sold in the state of California uh, has to come from animals that meet a a very low bar for humane treatment. And that that bar is basically that the animal can stand up and be able to turn around. 
Uh, And the national, yeah, it's fucking gross. And the National Pork Producers Council is saying that this violates something called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which basically is like, given the fact that, you know, Congress is supposed to regulate interstate commerce, if a state passes a law that, that affects interstate commerce in some way, which this theoretically would, because California is saying, you know, we don't want, you know, pork that has been raised this way in our state. So that could, given the size of California's market, kind of dictate terms to other states. Um, They're saying like this, this violates this, uh, this kind of very squishy interpretation of of how the um, interstate commerce laws are supposed to work. So um, that is interesting in its own right, like, you know, has a lot of implications for for food supply and animal welfare issues. But also there's a concern from a lot of climate folks that if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the pork producers, um, that it could mean the same argument could be made to knock down renewable portfolio standards yeah. in various yeah. states. Um, so that's yeah. something that it's actually an argument that's been made that, you know, because if you have a renewable portfolio standard, which is basically like a target for a certain amount of renewable energy on your state's grid, that impacts the rest of the grid, which could impact energy in another state. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's yeah. a lot of folks watching that one. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say I, I, the climate implications of this are really scary. Um, but also, yeah. you know, I know we talk a lot about not boiling environmentalism down to just the animals, but, um, I still care about the animals. Um, yeah. and pigs are like, they have an emotional intelligence. Um, I think, I think we've kind of, a lot of folks maybe think that they don't feel pain, that they don't feel fear or emotions, but they definitely do. Um, Mm -hmm. pigs are about as smart as like a five-year-old child, I believe, or at least a three-year-old child. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just, it's incredibly cruel and it's incredibly unnecessary. I, you know, I'm not a preachy vegan, um, but there is no reason we need to treat animals like that in order for people no. to eat meat. No. I, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not a vegan or even a vegetarian. And I will say that uh, I just I like this is gonna sound so woo-woo, but I don't think that you can treat other living things that way mm-hmm. and not have like a really fucked up society going on. You can't. You can't. You know? I, I don't think that sounds woo-woo at all. I think that sounds like basic common sense. And, yeah. you know, it, it, I don't know. It's just like the lack yeah. of respect for life is is evident at all the different levels of this. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it breaks my heart to hear about animals being mistreated in that sort of way. Well, yeah, the fact that you have to mandate that an animal can, like, must be able to stand up. And that that is a contentious law. That's crazy. <sighs> That's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Cruel and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's <sighs> gross. It's gross. Unfortunately, those are not the only two cases that are that are potentially bad news in this session. Uh, oh. We also have. Oh, yeah. There's a long list, Mary. Goody. Get ready. Um, <sighs> they, uh, yeah. We also there's we also have a fun little group. 
called Students for Fair Admissions. This is... Uh, <laughs> Why do I feel like this isn't fair? No. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, This is a group that was started by this guy named Edward Bloom. He is best known for architecting the case Shelby versus Holder, which took aim at the Voting Rights Act in 2013. So this was like the oh. first big hole in the Voting Rights Act. Um, that guy moved on from there to, <laughs> to make sure that he could dismantle any last vestige of affirmative action. So he has been bringing a bunch of lawsuits against various universities. He actually is the guy that represented Abigail Fisher in the, um, in the case against university of Texas, Austin, which was a, a very like laughable case because this was like a very mediocre student claiming that the reason that she didn't get into this college was because of reverse racism. Mm-hmm. Um, that case was was like not successful at the Supreme Court, but now he is back with two new cases. One is against Harvard. The other is against University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And um, oh boy, he has. Yeah, I mean, he's done this thing. This is like a strategy that's been used, honestly, since the late '80s, early '90s, to kind of do this whole reverse racism thing, which is mm-hmm. to. Um, find plaintiffs of color that you can make your case about. So he has found high achieving Asian American students. And he is saying that affirmative action harms them. Um, This is a strategy that I I actually like Clarence Thomas came up with back in the late eighties and like this fucking guy, this fucking guy and encouraged like a bunch of right wing lawyers to, um, you know, to go out and and build cases around. He was like, no, 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 guys, like, stop with, like, the reverse racism thing is dumb. (laughs) You want to know the thing about Clarence Thomas that makes me, like, a little bit, like, gives me a little bit of peace is I just imagine when he dies and he steps into the afterlife, Thurgood Mm -hmm. Marshall is going to beat his ass. Absolutely beat his ass, yes. Like, he is weighing with brass (laughs) knuckles and he's gonna whoop that ass all through the afterlife. I, yeah, I just, I'm just like, oh my god, this guy is the worst. Like, it, actually, honestly, Clarence Thomas's fingerprints are all over every fucking case this session, and it's really like this this argument that's getting made in the students for fair admissions cases. Um, it also comes up in Merrill versus Milligan, Brackeen versus Holland. We're going to talk about those cases in a second too, but it's this whole idea that like the, um, the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment, which is supposed Mm. to, you know, guarantee equal representation under the law, um, is supposed to be quote unquote race blind. This is, this is like, um, a real Clarence Thomas special, Um, Mm -hmm. He's really into this idea that like equal opportunity doesn't guarantee equal results and that, you know, um, you shouldn't, there, there shouldn't be any need to sort of systematically address a century plus worth of structural racism that basically like, it's really weird. Like there's this real magical thinking around it that like, as soon as, slavery was abolished and everybody had the right to vote 
that was the end of needing to fix any discrimination in this country. And like everything oh after God. that is just like down to people's own, you know, individual uh, skills and merits and whatever. Like as though none of that history had any impact. <laughs> it was all wiped away with the stroke of a pen. Um, yeah. You know it's, who it's else wild. is going to be waiting to whoop Clarence Thomas's ass? Who? Who? His grandfather who raised him, who was a big advocate yes! for civil rights. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's – he is just a, a uniquely um, terrible influence on, on the law in this country. Uh, anyway, so the reason we're talking about, you know, Students for Fair Admissions and their cases is that uh, there is some concern that if the court – rules, um, not necessarily if it rules in favor of, of students for fair admissions, but like depending on the actual wording of the ruling and what sorts of things they invoke that, that it could have an impact on federal environmental justice programs and how we look at those programs and like, you know, how, um, like, I don't know this idea that, oh, if you say that it's correlated with race, then all of a sudden that's going to invalidate your program or it's going to like land your program in court. Um, so that's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ay. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I, I want to just mention the really, really, the two really big democracy cases, which okay. are, uh, Moore versus Harper. So I, I, you might have seen some stuff about this online. I feel like there's been more and more kind of perkling up about it. Um, this is basically this idea that um, independent state legislatures should be able to kind of do whatever the fuck they want with federal elections. This mm. is very, very scary, um, especially in, in the wake of, of everything that happened with the last election and the January 6th insurrection and all of that. Like this is this is kind of the thing that that the big lie folks um, have turned to. As, as a way to, you know, make it possible for states like Arizona, for example, to be like, well, we just don't believe these results or mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we don't want to allow mail-in voting. So we're just not going to allow it here or whatever. Um, yeah. So that's very, very it's scary. Kind of important. Other, um, it's pretty freaking important. And, and obviously like, why are we talking about this on a climate show? Because you can't have climate policy without democracy. Well, um, <laughs> You can't have climate <laughs> policy without democracy. You, you can't have good have, climate policy. You yeah. can't have climate justice without right. climate policy, without democracy. Um, that's right. And so, yes. yeah, you, you don't can, want to yeah, see you that's want right. that problem. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The other big one is Merrill versus Milligan. This is the Alabama voting rights case. Um, the argument, this again is another area where this whole is is the 14th Amendment race blind or not question has come up. Uh, the, the Solicitor I'm General sorry, huh? of Alabama. Yeah. Um, the Solicitor General of Alabama was arguing that Alabama's redistricting map, which basically concentrates all the black voters into one district and waters down 
the number of black voters in all the other districts to kind of yep. effectively Let's... minimize the power of black voters in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, the Solicitor General of Alabama is saying, well, the only way that that we would end up with a, a map that doesn't do that is if we did take race into account. And that would be in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Um, that's the argument that oh they're God. making. Oh, my God. I want to <laughs> scream. Okay. I Yeah. I'm in Birmingham right now. <laughs> and just like... Yeah. Thinking about, you know, how many people risk their lives for the right to vote in this very city. Yeah. So like the one sort of silver lining in in this is that Justice Ketanji Jackson actually shot down this argument in the most brilliant way where she actually went and did the thing that the conservative justices do, which is to, to be like the framers said that this law, you know, like they, they like to sort of make this mm-hmm. so-called originalist argument. And and she said, actually, um, there's very clear documentation that this was not supposed to be race blind, that actually the entire mm. intention of this law was to address racial bias from the past. And therefore it could not and has never been quote unquote race blind. <laughs> I was like, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see what the court ends up doing with that. But yeah, this is bad news. This is very, very bad yeah. news. Um, yeah. And so do we have a timeline for when we w- might hear the verdict on any of these? They will start, let's see, they um, they will be continuing to hear oral arguments through October and November, and then we'll start to hear decisions like in December um, and into January of next year. So, um, so yeah, I, I like there's just one more I want to mention, and that is Brackeen versus Holland, which is um, really threatening indigenous sovereignty. And again, using this fucking argument about the Equal Protection <laughs> Clause of the 14th Amendment. They're, they're basically saying that having a law that um, is specifically geared towards preventing Native kids from being separated from their tribes and from Native culture in general um, is a violation of this Equal Protection Clause and therefore is unconstitutional. And And the big, big problem there is that Um, you know, kind of all of the laws that are collectively considered to be Indian law are based on this idea that in the law, quote unquote, Indian is a political, not a racial designation. So like in the same way that a citizen of Mexico or Japan or Canada has certain rights given to them by that government, and enjoys certain rights within the U.S. because of the relationship between the U.S. and their government. Native people mm-hmm. have certain rights because of the political designation of their tribe and the treaties that their tribe has signed with the U.S. Um, if this case is allowed to say, oh, actually, this definition is racial, there's a big concern that that could be used to sort of unravel all the rest of federal Indian law, which means, you know, 
reservation status, land rights, water rights. Yeah. Um, like yeah. tribal sovereignty really kind of across the board. So that is a very, yeah. very um, big deal. And yeah, oral arguments for that one are happening in November. So yeah, a lot of big, really big. November is going to be a big month. Oh, yeah. It's just like um, not at all to downplay, you know, the impact that overturning Roe had or any of the other big, um, you know, cases last session, but I just, unfortunately they're not done and there's going to be a lot more of these kind of really big structural cases coming. Oh God. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. You know, we haven't done one of these segments where we surprise one another with a new story. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. All right. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Me. Okay. I want you to go first. All right. All right. Um, did you know, Mary, that there's something called World Octopus Day? <laughs> when is it? October 8th was World Octopus Day. And the only reason I know this is that I was I was sent a press release about various protests that were happening in Spain to try to stop the world's first octopus farm, which seems like the worst Terrible idea. idea. Worst. Worst idea ever. I mean, ever. I can think of worse ideas, but <sighs> that's a bad idea. Yeah, like why would you do that to our alien overlords? You're just asking for trouble. Why would you do that to something that can come back and haunt you and then go back out to its planet and then come back and abduct you? And now you look as stupid being on somebody's, you know, little board while they're probing you and shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just like we just talked about um, pigs earlier and, and like the horrors that have come with industrial pig farming. The idea that we're even considering getting into like industrial ag farming of octopus is so uh, it's fucking gross this is how the movie starts it's true it's true yeah yeah there's a a multinational company called nueva pesca nova and they are planning currently to open the world's first octopus farm in 2023. So there was a big uh, nationwide protest in Spain on World Octopus Day, October 8th this year, to protest that um, that farm. There were also um, partner protests in 20 other locations, including Buenos Aires, Edmonton, Grand Canary Islands, Tel Aviv, Toronto, Mexico City, and Mumbai. Um, so yeah, I like I really I just I can't I can't. Um. Yeah, y'all can go <laughs> farm an octopus. You can farm octopus if you want to. I'm gonna stay far, far, far away. Yeah, yeah. Octopus yeah. are like smarter than us. So good luck with that, guys. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, or maybe just don't. Just don't. Do don't. That. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Thank you for giving me something else to have nightmares about. I really appreciate that (laughs) so much. Um, (laughs) But you know what? Maybe my surprise for you will give you a little bit of a nightmare. So I'm going to talk about the mental health of natural disasters on children. How about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So there's a study published recently in the Journal of Childhood Psychology and Psychiatry. Uh, I read about it from Darna Noor's study in Boston mm. Globe, uh, friend of the pot. Um, so this study um, said that children who were in the womb during the Superstorm Sandy in 2012 mm-hmm. were at substantially increased risk of developing depression and anxiety, as wow. well as attention de- deficit and disruptive behaviors disorders wow. in early childhood. Is that because mm-hmm. of like the stress hormones that are released when, of course, you're going through something like an extreme weather event or evacuation or whatever? Yeah, I mean... A mother being stressed out is never good for yeah. a child mm-hmm. um, from any, and, and you know, in the event of natural disasters, often the mother is in fear of her life. Yeah. That's never good for a baby, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this study analyzed 163 preschool-aged children in New York City whose mothers had lived in parts of New York City that Sandy hit particularly hard. Um, the researchers examined the children's health records and interviewed their parents each year after the storm. 66 of the children were in the womb during the hurricane, and the remaining 97 were born before the storm or hmm. were not yet conceived. Wow. Um, yeah. So each of the children's parents experienced some form of trauma during Sandy. Uh, half were forced to evacuate in the storm's wake, and another tenth evacuated before it touched down. Um, and the remaining ones, open their homes to other people displaced by the storm. Um, mm-hmm. So here's something weird. The impacts or, you know, the effects on the children vary by sex. So huh. researchers found that female children um, were at far higher risk of developing anxiety disorders, while male children were ex- at increased risk for attention deficit and disruptive behavioral disorders. Wow. That is mm-hmm. fucking fascinating and also terrifying. Yeah. And also kind of predictable, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is part of a growing body of research um, that that looks at the impacts of extreme weather on children. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a 2019 paper that found pregnancy complications increased by 17% shortly after Sandy. Wow. Um, with the highest increases, of course, being among uninsured people and people of color. Mm-hmm. And then there are these other stories or other studies that linked extreme heat to gestational on diabetes, premature birth, increased risk of stillbirth and low birth rates. So, you know, we we don't even know what all of the impacts of climate change are going to be to health Mm -hmm. um, at this point, which I'm sorry to bring it all back full circle. It's why I love Stacey Abrams' environmental policy. Yes! Yes. Because it ties in Medicaid, because you kind of got it. Yes. So, yeah. So smart. It is so, so smart. Mm -hmm. God, that's so upsetting. Bad. I know. It's bad. Oh, geez. I like that we both came with um, really depressing surprises for each other this week. (laughs) Yeah, no, yours was just terrifying. So with that, I think that's enough for this week. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time. next week. Hot Take is a Crooked Media production. It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Leo Duran is our senior producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt. 
Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landes for production support, and to Amelia Montooth for digital support. You can follow the show on Twitter at Real Hot Take, sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com, and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. Thank you.